and welcome to Pet Watch, a monthly program about the Williamson County Animal Center and animal issues in our community. I'm Debbie Sims and I'll be your host today. And my guest today is Ashley Cunningham. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Ashley is with Animal Advocates of Williamson County. Um, I follow you on Facebook. So tell me a little bit about what animal advocates uh, do. What is an advocate for an animal? So an advocate for an animal is basically somebody who looks, you know, looks out for the welfare of animals, who loves animals in general, and wants to use their voice to speak for somebody who has no voice in our community or in our process. Okay, so is the, the philosophy behind it is that animals are beings that deserve to have uh, a good life, a pain-free life. And I know you are somehow tied to the Humane Society of the U.S. Right. And they have their basic tenants, which are um, freedom, um, you know, an adequate amount of food, uh, that an animal lives a pain-free life. Um, what did, how does animal, animal advocacy of Williamson County come about, and how did you decide to get involved in that? So the reason that the Facebook page came about was because I began working on a pet store ordinance for the city of Franklin in 2016. So, um, you know, there was a lot of grassroots organizing and then um, ended up working with the city of Franklin on an ordinance that actually bans the retail sale of puppy mill dogs in pet stores. So um, we work on local issues. There's also um, a state component to that. Um, I work with the state legislature on a volunteer basis to um, help support um, legislation that would um, benefit the welfare of animals. Are you um, active in HSUS at a state level? Do they have a group in every state in the United States? So I'm on the Tennessee State Council for the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, it's a volunteer group that supports our state director, who is the staffer. And, um, you know, we'll go up to Capitol Hill and have kind of a lobbying day where, you know, advocates from across the state come and talk to the legislators about um, legislation that affects animals. What... What kinds of problems are there in the animal community? You mentioned uh, puppy mills, but what are some of the other main issues? And we may touch on more about each one of them, but the ones that people hear about are what? So this year, for example, there was a piece of legislation that had to do with banning the paraphernalia that's associated with cockfighting in Tennessee. Tennessee is one of just a handful of states where cockfighting is still a misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's you know very cruel, it can involve um, other types of illegal activity like gambling, mm -hmm. drugs, prostitution, and even human trafficking, unfortunately. So in Tennessee, um, what we did to kind of close part of a loophole in the law and give um, law enforcement more tools for prosecuting that kind of cruelty, we actually um, worked uh, with Representative Sam Whitson of Franklin here, and he's such a champion for animals. We worked with him to pass a piece of legislation that bans the paraphernalia that's associated with cockfighting, and what that means is basically the spurs, which are sharp, um, you know, knife-looking type mm -hmm. instruments that are attached to the legs of the roosters, um, and the cockfighting is basically, you know, where they stab each other to death. So um, it's very cruel. Um, it's something that is um, a pretty big problem in Tennessee. 
emergency. There's still a lot of cockfighting that, that goes on, mm -hmm. um, especially in other parts of the state. So that's one thing we worked on this year. We also were successful in fighting back a piece of legislation that would have been very detrimental to animals, and that had to do with um, banning the local ordinances like the ones we passed here in Franklin. So there's a large pet store chain called Petland that wanted to come into Tennessee and say on the state level that we couldn't ban any more, um, we couldn't pass any more ordinances at all that ban the sale of those puppy mill puppies because they want to keep that pipeline open so they can, you know, raise as many animals as they want in puppy mills, have that pipeline open into the pet stores, and then of course with the customer, you know, being that end retail user. So it's all about protecting that um, pet store pipeline. We were able to fight that back so that we can um, you know, pass more ordinances like we did in Franklin. Let's go back to the cockfighting for a moment. Sure. And maybe our viewers think that just sounds like something I saw in an old movie that happened in the 1920s and 30s. And you're saying that this is very much alive and well, and people actually raise roosters to fight. Absolutely. And um, the fiercest one they take to the, a competition, and then people in the community come and watch and usually it's in a barn or an interior area. So it is a misdemeanor, it is illegal. Yes. But like you said, law enforcement doesn't want to spend a lot of time going right. out and finding these people if they're only going to get a fine and get right out of, of uh, jail the next day. Right. So making that more severe punishment would hopefully deter it, right? And that's what your goal would be. Absolutely, so you know, up until just a few years ago, to be a spectator at a cockfight, if you, if you were caught by law enforcement, was um, you know basically just a slap on the wrist. It was a parking ticket. It was a $50 fine. Mm -hmm. And the former state director worked for eight years to pass a bill that raised the penalty from $50 to $1,500 if you're caught as um, a spectator at a cockfight or bringing a child to a cockfight is now um, mm -hmm. a separate part of the animal cr uh, cruelty law. Mm -hmm. So yes, cockfighting is still something that is, you know, still pretty a pretty big problem, especially in East Tennessee. Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking big money, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, are bet on these fights. And like I said, it can also be, you know, a gateway to other, you know, illegal activity. And sure. you know, the law enforcement. Um, you know, can the prosecutions can vary from county to county. I mean, you have some um, agencies that are more interested in making it a higher priority mm -hmm. than others. Um, but we, you know, wanted to get the paraphernalia law passed to give them kind of another tool in their toolbox. So mm -hmm. if they see that paraphernalia, um, you know, that can be, you know, a separate offense beyond just the fighting the roosters. Itself. Okay, so they can get in, they can be arrested for having these spurs or these, um, things that make it more cruel and make the death worse, more bloody and so forth. They can be arrested for having that in their in their possession, right. even if you don't catch them cockfighting. Okay, exactly. So. Because there's no other reason that people are gonna have cockfighting spurs, yeah. you know, on their property if they're not engaged in that activity. There's mm -hmm. there's nothing else that you're gonna use a, a cockfighting spur for. Well you know, like all issues like this with the animals, it just takes a person to speak up like you do on a daily basis for the animals. But if a citizen knows that, that cockfighting is going on in their community, mm -hmm. they need to speak up. Absolutely. And what, is the, what, is, what do they need to do? 
Well, you know, it's just, you know, kind of going back to the old expression, if you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as an advocate, you know, I think that it's important to remember that we are using our voice for those that have none. And if there's an animal who's being abused, you know, whether it's, you know, a dog on a chain somewhere who's being left out with, you know, no food, without any food or water, um, mm -hmm. you know, that animal already has so little. And if they don't have somebody like you or somebody in the community to speak up for them, then they have nothing. Mm -hmm. So um, I always want to tell people that, you know, to never uh, hesitate to come forward. Um, you guys are great. They can always reach out to Williamson County Animal Center. Um, they don't have to give their name if that's something that's a concern. Right. right. Um, but, you know, never let your hesitation um, for any kind of um, discomfort to, to speak for an animal because you could end up saving a life. In our, in our agency here in Williamson County, we do get calls from people and, and we encourage them because uh, we want to educate that person. And most of the calls we get are just lack of education. Right. Um, it's not, we don't have a lot of cruelty cases, though it does happen. Uh, but if a dog is on a tether, that's not against county law right now. There are ways that are legal for that animal to be tethered. So right. um, people, I would encourage people who think that, that that's not a good idea, that they also get involved at the local level um, to speak up for what, what they think there um, about the laws. And the laws have changed over the years as society changes. Right. So uh, it's all of us being vigilant, observant, and saying, you know, I know that's not illegal, but I don't think it's moral and I don't like it. Right. So let's see what we can do about it. Um, now the uh, puppy mill, uh, puppy store ordinance that you got passed was in the city of Franklin. Right. Um, so let's go back to, in case anybody's not aware what a puppy mill is, it is a breeder who exclusively breeds for profit right. with no consideration or little consideration for the health of the animals, the way they are kept. And right. I'm sure you know that con conditions can be horrendous yes. in a bad puppy mill. Right. Um, what are we talking? People that have hundreds of dogs that, and this is the way they make a living is selling these animals? It can be. I mean, the size varies. Um, you know, you can be talking, you know, from 25 dogs up to, you know, over a thousand dogs, you know, at some of the biggest mills. And these are basically factory farms for dogs. I mean, this is, you know, another agricultural operation. Um, you know, according to the USDA, a dog can be kept for her entire life, years on end, for a dog for a, in a cage barely larger than her body. So we're talking like six inches longer six inches taller than her head, you know, barely enough space to turn around, and her feet never have to touch grass. She never has to go to the vet. Um, you know, it's a very sad situation. Why, let's go back to that. Why is that the Department of Agriculture over domestic, the rules for domestic animals in the United States? Is that just the way it's designed? That is, I mean, anything having to do with animals in this country, um, as far as the federal oversight, uh -huh. you know, and which, which there's a 
total lack of, um, in my opinion, the USDA, you know, has the authority over. Right. So, um, you know, that's another thing that we're working on on the federal level. But, you know, even what, you know, very lax laws are in place, the USDA is unfortunately not enforcing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they give, you know, the puppy mills a heads up as far as the, you know, inspections and when they're going to be coming. Um, we used to have the um, welfare and violation records online so that people could go online and look, look up. Up. Uh-huh. And now, um, since February 2017, there's a complete blackout. So, you know, if you did want to research a breeder and, you know, find out, you know, has this breeder had any violations in terms of raising dogs? Well, you're going to have a pretty tough time finding it. So the same people that led, that control the health of beef cattle and, and hogs that are raised for food in the food chain in America also have rules about dogs absolutely and cats do they include cats or you said they you could have a kennel and spend your whole life in it and Mm -hmm. that's that to them was considered humane yeah. yeah, well, so basically what the USDA says is that they're, the regulations that they have in place are basically just survival standards. So as far as cats, I mean, there are kitten mills in this country, mm-hmm. but, you know, far fewer. Mm-hmm. Um, the puppy mills, in terms of the companion animals, are the much larger problem. And, yeah, I mean, there's really no distinction as far as, as that kind of regulation as far as companion animals. Okay. animals versus farm but, animals. But still, these are the people who, who deal with farm issues are making the only federal laws we have about domestic animals. So that does seem odd. So that I, I agree with you that they couldn't possibly have enough people on their staff to regulate the food supply chain, let alone all the puppy mills in the in, um America. It's the same agency, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that does all of it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's a problem. And, you know, state, um, in between our state and our federal um, regulations, unfortunately, it's still not enough to, to have any kind of humane standard of care. If they go to a puppy mill and, and, and do look at it, would their standards, you're saying, are so low compared to what you and I might want for that animal right. that that's the tragedy of the puppy mill, right? Because you and I could say, this is horrible, but they might say, well, it's alive, you know, um, but what is its quality of life? Exactly. Is it able, does it have any freedom? Does it have um, a person who's advocating for it to say that no dog should live this way? Um, So the puppy mills, is the designer dog craze has it fueled the puppy mills even more in the last few years? The combination of breeds, uh, Labradoodle, Golden Doodle, Puggle, um, has, has that made puppy mills, uh, the business grow? Uh, my guess would be yes. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't really know as much about, you know, all of the different breeds and, mm-hmm. and what the different demand is for mm-hmm. some of those, you know, right. mixed breed dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as long as there is a desire, you know, for the, for the purebred dogs, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there will be people who want to have, you know, commercial breeding operations. Right. right. Now, Petland, you mentioned that store chain, um, Aren't they, are they already in Tennessee in a few cities or where they're selling dogs in the pet store? So they opened a store in Knoxville mm-hmm. in 2017. 
Mm -hmm. um, and that location was actually one of the Petland Pet Stores that was part of the Campylobacter outbreak um, that the Centers for Disease Control traced back to Petland Pet Stores. Um, what is that illness? What so is um, Campylobacter is um, a bacteria that is actually zoonotic, um, meaning that it can be transferred from animals to people. And um, in 2017, the CDC traced um, a antibiotic-resistant strain of Campylobacter back to um, multiple Petland pet stores. Over 100 people were actually infected with it. The uh, humans were infected. Yes. The so humans who bought animals at Petland got it from their animals? Yes. Okay. yes. And does Petland run their own pet mills, puppy mills, or do they buy from these other people we've been discussing who have puppy mills? Do they... So Do you know their sources? or does, well, I guess you really don't know the sources, which is part of the problem. When you go in Petland and you see a cute little fluffy puppy, as a consumer, you need to be educated because the consumer assumes if, they're, if they have a store and they have a dog, it's healthy and I'll love it and it'll be healthy forever. And here you go adopting and then your whole family gets sick. So mm -hmm. the puppy mills are... Um, being unregulated for the most part, you're saying they're a breeding ground for many um, illnesses and diseases. Yeah, and, and the Campylobacter is becoming, you know, um, a bigger issue because of um, the awareness that's being raised. I think a lot of people who, you know, may um, have some kind of an illness and end up having to go to the doctor and going on an antibiotic, I think for the vast majority of people, it would never occur to them, oh, maybe my dog, you know, <laughs> that I just brought home from a pet store has, has caused me to be ill. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's really sad, um, but, you know, it's, it's something that, um, you know, we're working on to, to raise more awareness of. And, you know, with um, the strain in 2017 being, you know, it was actually multi-drug resistant is what the mm. CDC found. Um, it's, so it's not just an animal welfare issue, unfortunately. It's also a public health issue now. Wow. Wow. That's an issue I really didn't know about. Um, so is, it's legal to breed puppies, right? Right. In the state of Tennessee. Right. Now, can a, can a, obviously the city of Franklin took this on when you, when you all brought it to their attention, that there was a puppy store opening inside the city of Franklin. Right. Um, it opened. Um, controversy arose of the people who are aware, people like you and some of our viewers after this program will be aware that the origin of those puppies is unknown. Um, do they have to reveal anything about the puppies if they're trying to sell them in a store? Or is it just a shot in the dark when you go over there and get one? Uh, do they have to give you a health record or say where the animal came from? No, um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of the pet stores, you know, will say, you know, we only get our dogs from, you know, very responsible breeders. Sure. We don't use puppy mills because that's kind of a subjective standard, right, as far as mm -hmm. it's, not a, it's not a legal definition to say, well, right. this right. breeding operation is a puppy mill. Mm -hmm. So, you know, generally the pet stores will, um, you know, 
give you their their usual spiel about oh it's mm -hmm. only responsible breeders they're all USDA approved but you know as we've already discussed you know having a USDA license means very little in mm -hmm. terms of welfare mm -hmm. I mean these dogs you know um, get very little socialization with either dogs or people um, so there's you know psychological issues um, there's medical issues um, and there can be you know a lot of genetic defects as well um, because you know the, a lot of times there's you know no testing that goes mm -hmm. into um, you know the to the breeding and those kind of decisions right. right there's a lot of interbreeding which causes problems just to keep the puppies flowing right. um, brother and sister have puppies and and it just, it just gets complex in a puppy mill. There's not a lot of regulation and a lot of planning. But I do want to mention that there are a few reputable breeders around America. Right. And if you can, and I always tell people, oh, if they want a designer dog or a breed-specific dog, right. um, and that's their hearts set on that, um, I think shelter dogs are best. But if a person is obsessed with getting a certain type of dog or a certain combination, that if you cannot go to that person's home and see the mother and father dog together in that family setting, then you shouldn't ever purchase the dog. Correct. I, I, I mean, if you can, if they were going to meet you somewhere, that's a red flag. Right. If it's being sold by somebody else, that's a red flag. If you do it over the internet, it's a red flag. Craigslist is super bad place to pick out a dog. Right. I, I mean, buying a dog is a huge expense. Right. We were talking about the puppy store in Franklin. What were they charging for these little designer dogs? Do you know what the, the fees were when a person went in and bought one? Well, um, I mean, I talked to people who purchased dogs there for, you know, around 1800 or so dollars. Wow. I mean, I don't... That's a know. lot of money. It's <laughs> a lot of money to not be able to see where the dog came from and where it lived and right. to meet the people who are registered breeders, who have the AKC papers. There's just so many things a person could do uh, that would be so much better, uh, you know, discovery when they're getting, they're going to spend $1,800. Um, you know, people order dogs from Texas and people drive them up, drive them up to Tennessee. I, I know somebody that did that and mm -hmm. I thought it was crazy. Right. Um, but anyway, I, Let's go back. Now, You, this puppy store opened in Franklin, and then um, you and other animal advocates started to question the origins of the puppies. And how did you go about with local government? Um, how do you, when an issue comes up like that, it's a good lesson for all of us. What do you do? What's your first step? Speak up. So the first step for me was laying the foundation. So, which means basically, you know, getting the awareness out, mm -hmm. um, organizing the grassroots, um, and before we, you know, took it to the city of Franklin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by the time I started meeting with some of the aldermen um, in the fall of 2017, um, you know, many people in the community were, were well aware of, you know, the issue and what was going on. So um, it was a long process, but it was honestly kind of the very best of what you want to see with um, the community 
speaking out and you know our local government. Um, I really want to commend our sponsor Beverly Berger who was the alderman who sponsored the ordinance, really worked hard and um, you know was a great advocate on behalf of the animals. Mm -hmm. But it was it was a wonderful experience and you know meeting so many other wonderful like-minded people who just have a huge heart for animals and people you know were showing up to City Hall you know over and over. Mm -hmm. So it was it with dogs from our shelter. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah. it was it was a wonderful experience. I always say that animals who love people are the very best people. Yeah. So so was, you actually sometimes have to educate the person that's in our government agency. You have to educate the alderman because, and that's that's the great thing about local government here is when you need to contact a county commissioner or or an alderman in Franklin, you can and you can say, "What do you? Let's talk about this. Are you aware?" And all of us can't be aware of everything, but we're right. We have. Uh, we're willing to listen to these issues, and um, I want to touch on another issue. The U.S. House just passed a bill. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about that. That at a federal level, the House passed a bill. Um, tell me about that this week. It happened. So it was called the PACT Act, um, which had to do with closing a loophole in the Federal Animal Cruelty Code. Um, and I won't go into too much detail because it's it's pretty disturbing the kind of cruelty that we're talking about. But it had to do with making videos of you know very cruel acts um, related to animals. But there was a loophole um, having to do with where the offense was committed. Um, so if okay. it was on federal property, it couldn't be prosecuted the same way. So this bill um, that was passed um, overwhelmingly on a bipartisan basis in the U.S. House this week. Um, you know, closes that loophole. And I believe it has passed in past sessions in the U.S. Senate a couple of times. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, hopefully it will soon be signed into law. Wow. There's so much more to talk about. We're running out of time. <laughs> um, so if a person's interested in animal issues, mm -hmm. Humane Society of the U.S., which we call HSUS, has a great website right. where they can follow. And then they can follow you on Facebook for more local uh, issues plus you re you report on the big national issues when they come through. That's Animal Advocates of, of Williamson County of Williamson County. Mm -hmm. Actually, this has been so informative. I could have gone on forever, like we said. There's so <laughs> many issues, but if right. people like us don't speak up, there will continue to be uh, cruelty, and and I think our viewers will be astonished at what is allowed under all kinds of law at all kinds of levels. Um, and they may, hopefully this will spur them to become an activist or an advocate like you. Thank you. That'd be great. Thank you. I want to remind our viewers that on November 11th, the shelter will be closed for the Veterans Day observance. And then on Friday, November 15th, we'll be down at Holler and Dash Restaurant in Brentwood uh, for breakfast and lunch. They're open from 7 to 2, and they're doing it on a Friday this time. So uh, come on out on Friday, November 15th. November 15th and eat at Holler and Dash and a percentage of all the uh, in all the uh, revenue that day will go to the shelter so it's a great way to have a great breakfast or brunch then Saturday uh, November 23rd we'll have our monthly rabies clinic at the shelter from 9 to 11 on Saturday morning and we'll also be over at Three Dog Bakery that day doing pet holiday photos so if you'll follow the shelter on Facebook uh, those dates will come up and the appointment times will be there and people are already calling about getting their holiday pet photos. So uh, we'd love to see you there and 
we'll also be doing another one at Wolfgang Bakery in West Haven with pet holiday photos on the 30th of November. Uh, also, check our website if you'd like to become a volunteer at the shelter. We have a meeting once a month for the new volunteers, and the date is posted at our adoptwcac.org website. And of course, as I said earlier, we think shelter pets are the best, and I wish you would come over to the shelter and see the wonderful animals that we have. We are getting into the holiday season now, and there are many ways to help the shelter uh, with your charitable giving. Uh, giving Tuesday sort of kicks that off on December 3rd. It's a nationwide effort to make people aware of things that organizations need. We'll also have a giving tree in our lobby uh, with items on it that we need for our animals. And we will have our wish list, of course, which stays on Amazon.com. I hope you come by and uh, see our wonderful animals and follow us and follow Ashley and get more involved in the animal issues in our community.